<laughs> okay, we're recording. We're recording. We're recording. Um, we are here with some actual kids. Would you call yourself a kid or are you just like middle school kids? A teen. Middle school people? Or well. Teen. Okay, everybody go around and introduce yourself. I'm Avery. I'm Loy. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Evan. Okay, so this episode is going to be all about the wisdom of kids and how we often miss out on hearing from the wisdom of kids. Or we say children or maybe say adolescents. I don't know what you guys want to be called. Students? What do you want to be called? Adolescents. What kind of label can I give to you? <laughs> okay, so the question is, in terms of your relationship with adults, how do you know when an adult is listening to you? When they nod and, like, give eye contact. Mm, a good first start. That's good coaching. When, yeah. when they don't say stuff back. Okay. Like, kind of argue? When, like, after you say what you want to say like they don't just like immediately say like no or like start arguing but like actually like say like oh yeah I get that or like um yeah like tell me more or something like that instead of just being like okay that's good Evan do you want to say something about that uh or talk closer yeah no I agree with Avery I mean like when when like when your parent or an adult is really listening like like they're not trying to prove a point. I feel like when they're really just trying to just trying to listen, they're you'll know they're not trying to prove a point because they're just listening and talking. Wow. Yeah. Also, you can tell like when they're listening when you can tell that they're not making like a Ugh, that's not true. I'm more smart than you face. You know. Oh, there's and, a like, facial no expression that Loy is making. Adults, but, How know. would we describe the facial expression you're just making? <laughs> No, give it to her. Give her the microphone. <laughs> She's pretending to hold the mic. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like just, um, just kind of argumentative and just, you can tell that they're not listening. Were you making like a sarcastic looking face? How well, would you no, describe that facial not, expression? I was making an over-exaggeration, yeah. but like just kind of not really making eye contact. Maybe, oh, you know what I kind mean? of like wanting to move on. Exactly. Avery's trying to grab for the microphone. Then I can tell Elizabeth has something to say. I just have something to say, like, to add on. Like, you can tell that they're not listening. Like, you can tell that they're kind of, like, thinking of their next argument. Like, you can mm. tell that they're, like, not, like, really paying attention to what you're, what you're saying. Yeah. But <laughs> that you can tell that they're just thinking of what they're going to say next, to, like, yeah. to make their point or, like, not actually listening to you. Mm. It's kind of All just right. the vibes of the room. I mean, I don't really know what <laughs> facial expression it is. It's just kind what, of, what is know. the right vibe? What is a good vibe when you know you're having a good conversation with an adult? Comfortable. Yeah, comfortable. What did Lois say? Eye contact. Eye contact yeah. is big. Yeah. And Eye contact. Yeah, I agree with everything. But one thing I think about is, like, I can be the exact same. Like, all of these things are true about parents, but like a lot of the times they're true about me too. So like, well, yeah, I have to think like, like I don't like I see the things that my parents do, and I tr- like I try not to do them myself. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you try to rise above that. Yes, <laughs> very like a, almost like a challenge. Very okay. And how old are you, Evan? Uh, I'm 14. Okay, very. Very articulate. Not, not that 14-year-olds aren't articulate, but that was nice. Okay. Yes. Elizabeth, I can tell. Do you want to say something? No. Avery? What's the question? There's no question. It seemed like you wanted to say something. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. Like, I agree. Like, if my parents do something, like, I think me and you are very, like, the same in our ways of arguing. And, like, you'll Avery's be, like... Avery's my daughter, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be, like, stop doing that. Or, like, you're not listening. But then 
like you'll do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in an argument with an adult, you just like both have to realize that like you could both be doing things wrong instead of like because a lot of the times adults just don't realize that they're doing the exact same thing. Ooh. Uh, okay. <laughs> here, here's another one. Um, or that this may be the final question is yeah. What What would you wish that adults knew about what it's like to be your age currently? Lois seems to have something to say. Just like, I wish that they could remember sometimes. Like, I wish they could remember what it was like to be our age and, like, how it can be really frustrating between you and your parent. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you just want to, like, be able to make it your way. And I just, like, wish sometimes they just understood, like, sometimes really annoying. But, like... I completely, like, understand where they're coming from, but sometimes I really wish that they could just remember what it's like. Ooh. Okay, remember what it's like, adults. Try to remember what it's like. Most of the time, I kind of just wish that they had been there, because a lot of time when I explain something, I either don't remember it perfectly, or I don't exactly remember, like, what I might have said. Yes. But I don't... Because then I feel like they can't understand the situation unless... They were there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with Lloyd. Like, I just wish they like remembered what it was like to be like a teenager, like in middle school, like a kid in general, because it's like also like kind of hard. Like, not that it's not hard to be an adult, because like it seems like parenting is like not the easiest job. But like, it would be nice to have like them be able to be in your shoes a little bit more when you're trying to explain something or you're trying to like make a point, because like. It seems like they don't remember and, like, don't really understand. Okay, I actually do have one more question. Um, what would you say you need from adults? Like, what, what, is, what is the use of an adult in your life? Um, <laughs> Evan? Uh, well, for me, sometimes my parents and I will argue about some silly things. <laughs> and mm-hmm. for me... Sometimes I feel a little too strongly about some of these things, and I like sometimes I like I need them to just like know that I'm not gonna let go, and I need them to like move on for me. Ooh, like Ooh. when we're arguing, Man. like I will feel very strongly about some things, and I like need them to be the one who's gonna like put down their pride and like just move on because sometimes I'm Ooh. not in a place where I can do that. <laughs> that sounds so I wise I literally and smart. completely like totally agree. Hmm. Like sometimes I just like need them to just like step down because like we sometimes we just like want the victory of like just knowing that we're <laughs> not the victory but like just like knowing that we can also be right and like, sometimes it just feels good to be to know that everyone's, that you're right, you know? Kind yeah. of that feeling of like... Or that you had you know, something to contribute to the conversation. Exactly. And like sometimes I need them to just step down. But also I step also... Step down. Not step down, but I just know. kind of like, saying. you know, under, just sometimes I want them to understand that we are right. Like mm. that I'm, or I, that I'm right. <laughs> when I'm like frustrated, it's like, do you not understand that I'm right, you know? I'm objectively right. Yeah, uh, but it also sounds like exactly. Evan's saying sometimes as a kid, one of the things that an adult contribute in your life is just a little bit more maturity, even though you're probably yeah. mature yes. in your own way. Sometimes yeah. it gets out of hand. Um, Evan says yes. Can I say something? <laughs> I like agree with that completely. Like That's kind of what I was thinking because it just feels like they just always think they're right. 
like, no matter what, like, just because you're the adult, like, there's no chance, like, at all that we could possibly be right. But sometimes if you just, like, make it seem like you're a little bit more understanding and that you could have the capacity to think that maybe my child could be right about this, like, argument that we're having instead of just, like, I'm right, I'm the adult, like, in, like, really trying to understand. And, like, that's what I feel like I need, like, just someone to be, like, you know, like, really listening so that I can feel that, like, you're just not automatically right just because you're the adult. All right. Elizabeth? Um, another thing that I kind of feel like is um, something that really kind of annoys me is that when I'm interrupted, even if, like, I should be interrupted and I'm going a little bit too crazy about something I want to say, um, I really like... It's one thing I really enjoy. Oh, well, talk really closer. Like, is <laughs> yeah, is if they would, you know, let me finish my point, even if I'm not making any sense. And then once I'm done, they can say, okay, well, you know, that didn't really make sense. I just want to finish it first. Yeah, and maybe if you finish, it will eventually make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, I actually do have even one more question because this is going so well. What, one more question is, when do you all feel that you're most creative? Oh. Oh. Yeah. Uh, um. Probably when I'm just like by myself or like able to like think about things and stuff, just have like a time. Like, um, like I don't know, when I'm like listening to music, I just like feel like creative. Like I feel like I could do like something more or like when I'm playing the piano mm -hmm. and like... Or, like, if I, like, want to write a song, like, I don't know, something like that. I just feel like that's when I'm most creative. Well, I have my best ideas right before I fall asleep. <laughs> so, well, because, like, I, I, like, I just, I'm, like, right before I fall asleep is when I'm, like, thinking the most. Because I, I just have, um, like, it's just me. Like, I can, I'm free with all my ideas and, like, I, like... I, that's when I feel like I'm most creative. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes I forget my ideas in the morning, so I should probably start writing them down. <laughs> Some alone time, it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. I feel the most creative when I'm bored and I have nothing to do. Yeah. Like, because then I'm like, I have such an urge to do something. And I'm like, hey, what can I do? I can make a craft. I could go to, you know, Michael's, grab some craft stuff. Could, you know, watch YouTube sometimes. Um, but like, fun things that can, are that like really focus on being creative and also I feel really creative when I'm listening to like my, my favorite song I'm just like you know I could make a music video to this or like you know I yeah. could I could sit I could record this I could make a dance to this or you know I just love music so yeah I kind of feel like I'm the most creative, kind of under pressure. Mm. I mean, not really. It's just that my like brain is moving so fast and my heart is pounding, um, like in the middle of class. If we're doing some like competition or um, something at the end of the school for fun, um, I always feel the most creative at the point where um, she's like, "Okay, do this," and then it, it takes me a minute to like get wound up and then I feel like I'm just the most creative I am. Hmm. Uh, That's great. I feel really creative. Like, like my best subject in school would probably be like language arts because like writing is like one of my like things that I'm better at. Like, um, but if we have to do like a writing assignment that's like you have like 20 minutes to like write an essay or something, like I feel really creative. So yeah, or like, 
All right. Or when I'm yeah. dancing. dancing. Maybe Loy has <laughs> the final word here. Um, so what, basing off of what Elizabeth said, I also feel really creative under pressure because say like, actually this has happened to me before, like I was on stage and I forgot what to say. It's just you think about all the things that you could do to make this awkward moment get over, mm-hmm. be over. So you're just like, mm-hmm. what can I do? Like, so you think of different like lines that might associate with your line, or you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, creative improv. Definitely. Creative improv. Creative improv. <laughs> Correct. All right. Well, this episode has already been recorded, not by you guys, but this is all about how we can learn better from kids and how adults miss out on learning from kids and that you guys are inherently wise and have a lot to teach us adults. And I also read a book called um, How Children Raise Their Parents. Um, Isn't that a good title? That's an amazing title. Do you have any reaction to that title? Uh, I want to read it. Yeah, it, <laughs> it makes us. It makes us me feel like really empowered. Like yeah. my parents. I'm, of course, my parents are the boss. Not the boss. They're <laughs> the, of course they're Who's responsible for me and they're in yeah. charge of me. But I, when you said that title, I was like, well, maybe we could too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I feel like I look up to my parents a lot. So like, I feel like knowing how much I contribute to their like lives. And like yeah. help them out really makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because oh, that's a nice way I feel like it. kids like do have a lot to like like adults could learn a lot like from kids and I like that title. All right, Avery, title. do you maybe you can just say um, that's our intro and now you can just say welcome to no small thing. Um, that's our intro. Welcome to no small thing. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain and more curious life. I'm Scott. And I am Macy. Welcome to episode number 63. Yeah. We're Is FaceTiming. It? Welcome to our first FaceTime episode, everybody. We're, We're not in person. This. It won't sound any different to you, ideally. We're both just talking to our microphones. Yeah, we both have mics here. It might just sound like we're in the same room, but to us, it feels slightly awkward. It does feel strange, although it is comforting that our favorite podcasters that inspired us in a lot of ways to do this, they did it only via FaceTime for the first like five years, I feel like. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It is. And they had, I don't know if they had met each other in person when they started podcasting. Yeah. So that's its own thing. No, they hadn't. It was just like this whole online this relationship. This is Knox and Jamie of the Popcast, everybody. Yeah, go give so, them a listen. Yeah. They're pretty funny. They're one of our... Highly produced. <laughs> highly produced. No podcast is perfect, and no <laughs> podcast is going to be 100% everybody's cup of tea. Maybe we're 80% your cup of tea. You have some <laughs> criticisms. It's not perfect. It's not exactly what you'd like, but you like it enough to keep listening. With Popcast, especially now that we've started making our own podcast, it's started to sound slightly overproduced. Not as slightly. They just, it's not, yeah, they just are out there making lots of episodes, doing lots of things. <laughs> They're a full blown business with employees. Yeah. That's snaps to them for all their work. <laughs> and I'm, okay. I'm definitely pretty jealous, but uh, 
Also, okay. So tonight, what's the We're topic? doing Age and Wisdom. Age and Wisdom. Age and Wisdom, our third installment of Age and Wisdom, yeah. everybody. Welcome. Hope you enjoyed our little chat about the podcast. <laughs> it's really hard because with No Small Thing, there's like, in our minds, I think we share this mentality that it, it, it all makes sense what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. We have these mm-hmm. topics. We have these ideas. We have this trajectory we, we can see how the weird topics all actually make sense together. Yeah. And we know what we're doing when we do this, but uh, maybe some people don't. And I, I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. And I don't know how, how much more I should try to explain without getting like long winded and boring, but like what we mean by age and wisdom. Yeah. We, I mean, we picked this, this title sort of haphazardly out of just kind of thin air, but it still, I think means exactly what we want it to mean. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. We're sort of delving into the misconceptions, preconceptions that we have about who has wisdom, who is who is meant to pass on wisdom, who hears wisdom, who, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, from the yeah. very first, I guess this was our third episode. Yeah, it was, was one of our episode. core episodes yeah. in defining ourselves. Yeah. So uh, it's, uh, we're, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that this is something, well, that's what we're here for. (laughs) I think age and wisdom is something that speaks so much to, I don't know. It feels close to home for us in that we ourselves are of different ages and we see each other as both being, I think, equally wise. And that's kind of essential to us. And then, yeah, you kind of have a philosophy of life around seeing youth as prophets. Yeah. And I am over here seeing children as just like pure gold. So I think that we have our own unique lenses that, yeah, we're here. We're here for age and wisdom, whatever that means. If you listen back to our other episodes, there is something about, I I, I have an idea of potentially, maybe, (laughs) It's, it's a, an idea of writing a book called Youth as Prophets. I wrote a blog post. It's something that means yes, a lot yes. to me. Scott's um, going to write a book I'm gonna in write multiple book. books. Okay. You're going to write multiple <laughs> books in your lifetime. I'm Thank putting you. it into the ethers. Um, and, okay. then, and then you have Are, Reggio. There was Reggio. a poem that you read called uh, 100 Ways? 100 languages. 100, languages. 100 Languages. Yeah. So, so Reggio. Say, okay, okay, okay. You're going to get into Reggio. Are we doing like an outline? <laughs> I don't know. Let's do an outline. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome to No outline. Small Thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was getting over explainy. <laughs> okay. Okay, so we'll begin this week with uh, the first segment being a little bit more of my angle on age and wisdom. Mm-hmm. I work with kids. I work at a school in Seattle called Hilltop Children's Center. It's a very wonderful, beautiful place where I'm constantly learning and growing, both from other educators, but also from the children, significantly from the children. So we'll be talking about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the second little chunk will be Scott sharing a bit about this book. What's the book called? The book is called How Children Raise Parents. How Children Raise Parents. Mm-hmm. So It's by we'll Dan Allender, PhD, who started... A, a graduate school in Seattle called Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. It's kind of a progressive. It has like a board. It has like a reputation of being like a hipster seminary, but, um, <laughs> whatever that means. But uh, I mean, essentially, their main jam is they train up therapists, 
but they mm-hmm. also do an MDiv and other degrees, but they're pretty cool. And he started the school and he's written a bunch of books oh, that whoa. Really inspired me. And he has one called leading with a limp. And it's oh, essentially ooh. like how to be a leader that leads with vulnerability. Mm. And it really impacted me, but he's, yeah, he's a yeah. really wise, whimsical, Oh, just a great, if you ever see him talk, he's just so compelling. I think he's probably an eight on the Enneagram. Yeah. But he's so smart. His writing is so good. And today I was like, oh no. Like oh no. The end of the day, we I've been reading this all week and I was kind of getting towards the end and I was sitting with my wife, Marissa, and she was reading some of the end to me. And uh, he has a last chapter that I'll talk about later, but it's about um, the importance of play while we raise yes. our kids. And he quoted Annie Dillard. Oh, I no. got so emotional. <laughs> I was like, oh, Rizzo's like, like, oh, here comes an Annie Diller quote. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dare he. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into that. Gosh. So that, yeah. Not a big okay, long and then, one. But what? Not a big long one, but I, I guess I say like to the casual listener, I like to think there's some parents listening that would get something out of this. I like to think yeah. there's some youth group kids, honestly, that do listen to us sometimes that would get something out of this. There'd be some parents from everybody, I lead a youth group. So there's me. Yeah. Um, and a, a church youth group. If you're listening for the first time, I'm a youth pastor. <laughs> that's that's Scott's <laughs> occupation. We both work with kids. Kids and youth. And we did yeah. it together. That's where we met. Yeah. And so that, this this feels like something so training. close to our hearts. Yeah. What was that? That's my training. That was your training. You were an educational yeah. ministry. Educational major. ministry. Yeah. Which so was a lot of we often start by human saying development, child development. We're not um, experts, and and I I would maybe never I could get to the end of my life as an eight year old and say I'm not an expert in anything. But if we're in an if we're in any zone or territory where we are in our spot, this is it. You know. Yeah, it's true. It's yeah. true. Even <laughs> though I before we even started recording this was getting all existential and self conscious about my lack of expertise, <laughs> but that was my own. Weird age thing. Yeah, age but this is, is one a of those weird where thing. We can't say, oh, we haven't been trained. We haven't done this. We're we're not experts. We don't know what we're talking about. This is the <laughs> one area where we're like, we kind of know what we're talking. Oh well, yeah, actually, about, this is my job. Yeah. <laughs> okay. When we come back, are we gonna talk, sure. or are we just gonna get right to Should it? We just get right into it. We're only nine minutes in. All right, guys, we're here. Here we are. We're, <laughs> we're gonna, gonna get, get right, right into, into it. it. That's our open intro. That's what you're getting yourself into in this episode. A little something for everybody. I think something for parents, something for kids, something for educators, something for aunts and uncles and grandparents, grandparents. how to treat kids, how to be a kid, how to interact, who has wisdom, who doesn't, how do we pass it on, how do we listen, (laughs) how do we cultivate a listening mentality and spirit, that's what we're talking about. Okay. Which ultimately leads us to be better people and be better listeners in general. So Yeah. Don't think that we can't learn anything from kids. That's the premise. Don't think that. The episode if you don't want to listen anymore talking. We're going to talk now. <laughs> okay, okay, so you work at Hilltop. It's Children's Center. Hilltop Children's Center. Yes. I've been there for over a year. A year. My yeah. coming up on my, like this week was a year. So here I am. And there is a philosophy mm-hmm. that you have not only learned and are continuing to learn, but you live out. And it's it's true. Fairly. For, we're all familiar with it now. I mean, I'm your friend, and so I'm like not a, an expert at this philosophy. But I, uh, you have to approach it as as many people don't know what this philosophy and this approach is all about. 
Yeah, I'm kind of thinking, should I read like any specific words from it or just share kind of about it? Both. Okay. Read some words and share about it. <laughs> okay, so I'm going literally to our school's page and going to the philosophy or section. This is a school um, that I would call cutting edge. Mm-hmm. This is a school that I would call um, uh, profound. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, I feel so lucky that I get to learn there, like for this season of life, and that I get to be a part of it and get to witness this way of seeing children in the family and the educator. Um, yeah, I get really like emotional vibes about this place and the philosophy. It feels like I've found, uh, an education philosophy that's like sings and is in tune with my heart. Like I very quickly in reading it and studying it and understanding it and reading the words of this original Reggio school, it's like, Oh, this is my vibe. This is exactly my vibe. Um, so it's nice words that already kind of articulate the way I view children. So I'm going to read just, uh, a little bit about its inspiration from Reggio Amelia. Um, the person. so he's a person. No, Reggio is a place is a city oh, in Italy. There you go. Um, You're and important to note that it's just inspired by Reggio. Uh, Reggio is, was a, is a large school in Italy and they had this huge like display, slash I don't know how to describe it but the school itself is its own like beacon for people to come and view and all the like classrooms have there's this wonderful document that's called the hundred languages that's a little bit like the curriculum but it's just mostly like the captions to the rooms of the classrooms and all the kids art and the teachers pieces written about the children's work and that's the curriculum. Well, so, so we're just I thought in Reggio as a person. So that's my ignorance. <laughs> what was that? I thought Reggio was a person. <laughs> yeah. No, not a person. Yeah. So it's inspired by this approach and it's inspired by this way of documenting and writing. Anyways, okay. I'll just get into this. Get into it. I have too many thoughts. Hilltop's Children's Center has been influenced by the schools for children in the city of Reggio, Emilia, Italy. While there is no formal process of certification for schools in North America that aspire to the Reggio approach, we at Hilltop feel that our core values align with the work being done in the schools of Reggio, Emilia. Like the schools of Reggio Amelia, we provide small art studios for each classroom as well as a large community studio. We offer children a variety of opportunities to explore visual media, believing that children can use art as a tool for deepening their own thinking and communicating their theories about the world. Woo. Reggio Amelia schools hold children as competent, capable, and powerful. Dang. No, Focus. no people don't like that. <laughs> that see what Com- I'm saying? Yes. That's why we're doing this episode. Competent, capable, and powerful. That's big. Um, Focus on relationships. (laughs) Annoying. (laughs) Yeah, but I do think that most schools, I don't know. I I think that most educators would agree with this, whether or not you're at a Reggio school or not. Mm. Um, Let's put out a... I doubt it, honestly. I doubt it. I don't know. I think... Sorry, I don't know. Educators. Sorry if I'm being. Uh, yeah, I think most. But, I I would I would disagree. I think. Okay, well, I'll from talk the about educators myself. that I know. That's not yeah, how I true. viewed it. That's not how I viewed kids up until about seven or eight years ago. Even my own kids. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. I have a 15 and 13 um, year old. Didn't think of them that way. 
as competent, competent, capable, and powerful. Oh, they're empty vessels that I'm supposed to teach and hmm. train up. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's real thoughts. Dummies. Oh, gosh. Oh, <laughs> I'm, God. I'm being slightly silly, but also kind of serious. I know. Yeah. I know. It even hurts a little. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to keep reading the things. Uh, they focus on relationships and collaboration, believe that knowledge is constructed constructed through shared experiences and discussions, mm-hmm. view children as the stewards of their own learning, base curriculum off their passions, view families as partners in learning, and create a welcoming environment for learning. Mm. Um, so that's just like a touch of the curriculum. Uh, we also do like emergent curriculum, which is basically that it's like a reflective practice. So set up a space for children to interact with. And then the t- role of the teacher is to observe and reflect upon what they're seeing and expand upon the kids learning and create stories that build upon what the kids are interested in and allowing their own like passions. Yeah. To start to unfold in the space and allow the environment to be the teacher and et cetera. Mm. Um, so that's just like a little touch of it, I guess. That's not, that's no small thing. It's no small thing. It's a big, a big thing. I think it's cool because I work in this place. So it's easy to read words like that and think, uh, okay, but do people really live that out? And it's, I feel like very lucky that I work in an environment where it does feel like the people around me hold those values too. And that they do see each kid as being capable and competent and powerful. And I think it allows the teachers to approach the child with such curiosity and and learn alongside them, which it just expands everyone's learning so much, I feel like. Yes. Um, when you see them as equal partners in their own learning, it's no longer a teacher saying, oh, I have something to teach you. You must arbitrarily listen. But it's a teacher coming alongside a kid and saying, oh, you have so much like already within you to figure things out and you have so much to teach me and to teach yourself and to teach your friends natural curiosity Um, natural curiosity like trying to hold on to that as long as we can (laughs) but i also think establishing and this isn't anything that i've gotten from the literature of reggio but it seems like establishing a connection with an adult that i mean we'll talk about play later but like a connection all with day, a, every day. Yeah. A connection with adult that says from the very beginning, learning is collaborative. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's innovative. It's expecting the unexpected. It's knowing that, uh, there's somebody out there, this adult, this other adult, this peer who will be there for the journey and we'll discover things together and it'll be fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, 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 just the uh, alternative just sounds so the more we think about this stuff, the more the other types of teaching sounds so depressing. (laughs) I know it makes the, the like elementary school model feel, I don't know it. I'm really young in terms of my education journey and I don't know, I don't understand and I've never taught in elementary schools. So I don't know what it's like, but it is 
interesting to think about alternative ways to educate that I think may have something to offer our public systems that we have. Well, I mean, what was it like for you to be in school? What did you think as a, as a kindergartner and a first grader? How was school? Oh, I mean, I was rather complacent in that I was like a very good student and I kind of like school a lot. Always like school. Um, I was very nervous about certain teacher. I was very nervous about strict teachers, like very nervous about strict teachers would get bad anxiety. Um, I don't know. That's interesting for me to get more in touch with. It's also so complicated how little memories we have of our childhood in terms of, I can think like very foggily of like my preschool experiences. Mm. And I don't know, like I teach preschoolers and now I'm, I'm this summer and honestly for a little bit, I'll be teaching more elementary age kids, early elementary. Um, and it's, it's so crazy for me to think about the things that they're learning and seeing them now and knowing that they won't really remember a lot of this. And yet it still feels really powerful and like foundational, the things that they're learning. I know. I know. It's, it's complicated because it's, it's hard to look back and know, I don't know, your process. Or the impact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or the impact. Totally. I, I don't know what I would have been like if I was given space to explore myself the way that these kids are given mm-hmm. at a young age mm-hmm. and space to explore the world with so much curiosity. I mean, in a lot of ways, the curriculum is also really open-ended in that we'll have full-on discussions about whatever the kids are interested in. So it's like, if it's pranks, we'll spend a long time talking about pranks. Or if it's like... <laughs> Gender will take their questions seriously and talk about that. Or if it's, I don't know, it's just fascinating to, to have the freedom to explore what they're interested in and see that as valuable. We'll talk about that a little bit because something's been going on in the last few days about pranks. What happened? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't really even know. I mean, <laughs> I feel like this I'm, is a good example is, of what you're talking this about. This is me trying to learn from the kids in a lot of ways because I've never been fully into pranks. But let me also say this. Like, That's a great point. First of all, you've never been fully into pranks. So you're learning alongside these kids. You're being open-minded. But I'm trying to be open-minded about pranks. As you, as you approach these, this day as a teacher, you're, you're already, even as a teacher, given the freedom to think about how to engage this thing that's come up about pranks. <laughs> you know, now you're engaging and you, you know that, well, tomorrow I'm going to do this and that's part of your job, you know, <laughs> and they're going to learn somehow and you're engaging them. I don't know. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. I can actually name some things that about this pranking situation. So (laughs) (laughs) it all, I don't know when it actually began in their minds, but when I started becoming on my eyes, eyes was, I was talking to the kids the other day at lunch. I like, there's a group of kids that I've really been like, I'm trying to be very curious about what's going on in their heads. Cause honestly, it's like, that's the best thing that I can do. I think to offer them as a teacher is to like know them Mm -hmm. because I don't want to tell them, I don't know. I'm working on certain communication methods. Anyways, I was talking to them and uh, I was like, so when a teacher is talking to you, like, are you ever listening? What are you thinking? And this particular group was really like, we never are listening. We're always doing all these different things. And I was trying (laughs) to figure out the honest answer. (laughs) Note that this is, I, this is a summer program. I'm not with preschoolers. So 
these kids have, they go to elementary schools and they see my role as being like halfway teacher, halfway camp counselor, okay. which I love that I'm kind of a little bit in between mm-hmm. vibe. Although we're like, we are your teachers, but they're like, I'm kind of at summer camp. So mm-hmm. you're not really my teacher. But honesty. Um, so I was talking to them and they were naming all the things that they were thinking about. And multiple of them were like, I'm thinking about pranking the teacher. Mm. that's what I'm thinking about. And so I, of course, was like, what do you mean? Like, what kinds of pranks? And they got so into these elaborate pranks. And they kept being like, I've done this prank, and I've done that prank, and I've done this prank. And I know they haven't done these pranks probably to their teachers. But they were like, you could see it in their eyes. They were getting so excited about all these pranks. And then this one kid was like, I always prank my dad, but I never prank my mom because she doesn't like pranks, and my dad likes pranks. I was Gosh. like, this seems so reasonable. But, that but is the, so but, I mean, awesome. So we have to stop because I just want to stop and, and then continue the story and just say, we don't do this as parents. We don't do this as educators. It's, it is, it is, I don't want to say revolutionary because it seems like it's been, been done in other parts of the world, but um, we don't approach kids this way. It's, it's, it's a no small thing mentality too. It's, it's approaching it with curiosity yeah. Not judgment, open-mindedness, lightheartedness, playfulness. Letting the kids talk. <laughs> is Matthew here? <laughs> no, there is Raccoons. like a squad of like, I think six people that just ran by. Oh, gosh. All in everyday clothes, chasing a car that was driving slowly. Yikes. <laughs> SPU? I don't know. It was, it felt like a fun, yeah, like young college age energy. Um, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea that not only it's not like Macy's gone rogue and doing this thing where you're now listening to some kids. <laughs> it's like, this is what you've been trained to do. This is what the teachers at Reggio are, are meant to do. Right. Yeah. We get together once a week and sit down and talk about kids and just like are curious about ways to understand them better and work with them. So this was part of me. I'm like, okay, I'm really trying to like lean into that curiosity and know like, Because if they're having a hard time listening to teacher messages, part of me is like, well, now I want to know, like, what's going on in your brain that makes you think that, like, that you don't want to. Mm -hmm. Because that helps me, you know? Yeah. Um, So we got off on pranking. Anyways, (laughs) that was kind of the end of the discussion. And that was on Thursday. It didn't get brought up on Friday. And then I came into school on Monday and I show up. My shift is the closing shift, so I'm at the end of the day. So by the time I get in the classroom, all the kids are there, and I just walk in, and they're all playing. And I, like, spend the first few minutes walking around and seeing what they're up to and, like, saying hi and, like, figuring out what's been happening in the last couple hours and check in with teachers, whatever. And I walk in, and my, one of my co-teachers is like, so this group started prank club today? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean prank club? And they're in the studio, and... These kids took these boxes and they had come up with this one prank that was taking just an empty cardboard box, tying it to a string, hanging it from a certain spot. And then when someone would walk by, they'd let go and go prank. And like, (laughs) (laughs) and it was so funny. It was so funny. And they were so excited. Like this group of kids that I had that I've had a hard time engaging in some senses. We're so into this. And we were all like, this is so awesome and so funny. Um, and yeah, that like got all these innovation and creativity and, 
engagement is already just there naturally. Well, exactly. Like they had to come up with it, how to figure out how to like tie this string. They're all like collaboratively doing it and Mm -hmm. like trying to put in their ideas. And then it also became this like really good opportunity to talk about kind of consent and what like kids are into it, what kids aren't and knowing that you have to like check in with kids that they were okay being pranked before you did it. Wow. And certain kids like didn't ever want to be and they'd be like, I don't want to be pranked and I don't want you to do that. And it, it led to a lot of good discussions of putting up boundaries and things like that, which I do think play in emergent curriculum just always lends itself to those kinds of things. Um, so but I, then, I don't really like pranks, so I don't, I don't to pranks. <laughs> I know. I don't really love them either. Although the more I think about it, I did have a few prank things. Like I had a fake poo thing that I would put on things and see if I could <laughs> prank people. And as the age? kids were, t- Oh, probably like eight or nine. Oh, okay. <laughs> so as the kids like were recent. talking, these are like most of them, like seven, to nine-year-olds, well, six to nine-year-olds, I c- I'm trying to get back more in touch with my, like, childhood self mm-hmm. that would have enjoyed it. Um, gosh, these people walking by. Are they doing it again? No, it's just they're walking back now. <laughs> <laughs> you and your owl perch. Um, okay. Oh, so then I guess <laughs> okay. to, the prank stories, I'm going so in on this prank I, story. I love it. I love it. Then multiple, like the next day, a bunch of kids now had made this prank and they set it up in a different room and they were all getting into it. And then that night, one of my coworkers gave me an empty Oreo box and was like, Macy, this would be the prank. You should like tease them. And I honestly, in my instinct was, no, I don't want to like hurt their feelings or make Mm -hmm. them mad. Like what if they get mad that I pranked them? Yeah. But I honestly was like, no, like they are enjoying this. This is fun for them to like pull these pranks. This would be a fun thing for them. So I came in this morning and I was so excited. I was like, I have my prank. I pulled it out of my cubby and I went over to them immediately. Like the prank team wasn't pranking, but they were all in the same area. And I was like, you guys, I've got something for you. And they all came over and they were so excited. And then they opened it and I just was like, prank. <laughs> but then they, they, they loved it and they wanted to replicate it, right? Yeah, no, they really loved this. Especially this one kid who was like the most into it was like, oh my gosh, first of all, this smells so good. He just sat there <laughs> smelling the Oreo box, which kids and sugar. Yeah. But then I was like, you guys can have this now. You can use this as a prank for the rest of the kids. And they did. They went around and were so excited. They would go prank. <laughs> <laughs> See, I just think it takes, it, 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 ah, there's just so much goodness there. Yeah. You know? I'm honestly like, if I what is sit learning, back, what is education? That's it. And, in in today or yeah today was the day the prank happened i'm learning to be more lighthearted and take things less seriously i get my feelings hurt like sometimes probably too dramatically by these so, kids <laughs> not necessarily by these kids although i'm probably more sensitive than i like to think about it yeah just i don't know the world like kind of sensitive just sensitive. Yeah. yeah. Like when people do mean things, even if it's like funny, I'll be like, oh, but that was mean. Oh, yeah. No, I'm But sometimes too, sure. I have to remember that some people are a little tougher, maybe, and like that. They like yeah. the teasing and the bantering and things yeah, like that. Yeah, that's a tough one. Sometimes I don't like to think that I have to adjust my style for somebody else's benefit. Like they wanted to prank me and they think this is funny and they're like, come on, that was funny. And I'm like, I, d- I didn't think it was funny. Yeah. You know, but, but for kids... I don't think the point is, 
oh, pranks are good, and you're now teaching a curriculum on pranks, you're following the natural flow of the curiosity of the classroom. And it happens to be pranks. Exactly. And uh, I think it became this awesome way for them to take ownership of something. And then the kids who were pranking taught a ton of other kids how to do it and got them all involved. Yeah. It was fun. And everyone's enjoying it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't an extreme prank when all of their like grownups came to pick them up. They'd be like, come over here. Like I have a (laughs) prank for you. (laughs) Just so funny. Every time they'd yell prank. (laughs) Oh, prank boy. club and we have a cleaning club <laughs> well so what has the journey been like for you like what have you learned through this what season have I learned? yeah oh goodness i don't know i guess in this season are we talking about me working with older kids or are we talking about in working at reggio or working, hilltop working at hilltop working at hilltop oh it feels like so much it like, feels like apply so the principles much. to your own life Yes, I do think I try to. I do think it's changed my approach with children and with youth probably. Mm -hmm. Just I already had this in a lot of ways, but now I have more language for it. I have more support for it. I have more. um, It's something I have to put into practice every day. We're doing this podcast. It's about curiosity. And we started it around a similar time to when I started working there. And this approach to children and their own insights is a practice in curiosity, I would say. So I do think I feel it in my everyday life. I also think it's helped me to maybe, and this is me getting probably introspective Macy vibes, Mm. but having this way of seeing other children and working with them and seeing them and holding them with such wisdom has given me some space slash encouragement to maybe look back at my younger self and see my younger self and see the wisdom in that self yeah, and get in touch with that and allow that wisdom to speak to me today. Yes. That's what I was um, kind of hoping you were going to say when you said it. <laughs> but I also yeah. wonder if it if it gives you a sense of your own current sense of wisdom and direction as a young person so to speak, quote unquote. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um I think that's something I do often struggle with. I think we talked a bit about this in the four episode of this weird inferior inferiority complex that I Mm -hmm. tend to lean towards. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can really quickly, uh, I can like walk into a classroom and be like, well, all these children are wiser than I am. And then I'm, and then I'm the, and then I can just look at like all these educators are wiser than I am with their age. And I can just like, Oh, it's almost age and wisdom gone awry. I know it a hundred percent is and a hundred percent is. That's me on my more like not my best moments, yeah. but in my better moments, I can see my own wisdom and it is a, like the philosophy gets played out in terms of the way we all as a faculty treat one another. Mm. I feel very a part of the team and like I have a lot of value and my ideas have value and that's that's a very important kind of component of all of this is that we see the children's ideas of, as having value and we encourage them to see that in one another but that also 
applies to us as teaching teams and applies to us with kids. And so it is a part of my practice to step in and believe that my ideas have value regardless of my age. That is something I have to work on though. Probably more than anything else. (sighs) More than anything else. What are some things, what are some times where some kids have really caught you off guard since you've started working here? Really caught me off guard. Yeah. Ooh, I mean, so many times. <laughs> what kind of things are you talking about catching me off guard? Like saying like, something that was was potentially wise or profound, or just doing something like this skit thing that just was like, I mean, you, you guys I all buried talk, a bird one time, and it was. Like, I was about to say I didn't talk about the bird in yeah. the last episode, did I? I don't. I don't think so. I have a hard time remembering, but I don't think so. Okay, I'll try and briefly explain this. I don't know if it had happened at that point. This was one of, this was the... It was back in December that we did Age and Wisdom. Yeah, it was It was after that. Yeah, um, yeah this was one of the most profound weeks from with this group of kids. Um, so this is throwback to a couple months ago. I'm with preschoolers. This is preschool classes that I'm with. And there was this little bird found on the play yard that had fallen from its nest and it landed on a fence. And I think if I had just seen that, I would have been like, oh, poor bird and walked away. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the reaction of a lot of kids. But there was a group of kids when they saw this bird, it was stuck on the fence on the playground that... They were all, I mean, they're kids, so they're like, a bird, oh my goodness. And then they were all so emotionally struck by this bird being there. And the Mm. bird was very helpless. Mm. Like, it was stuck in a place. We couldn't really pick it up. You can't really pick up a bird. There's, like, a lot of things about the smell that you would leave on the bird. And it was, like, a little chick. So there was, like, everyone was hoping its mom would come find it. This is heavy. And... So I sat there and I positioned myself near the bird, um, of course, on the playground that day and sat there and observed the kids as they responded to this bird. And um, one of them was like incontrollably like upset and like, we have to help the bird. We have to do something. What are we going to do? The bird is dying. and was so mad. And I kept having to be like, I'm really sorry. Like we can like we had to like rope it off and like and like say like we can look at it and wish it well. But like actually like this is some reason why we might not be able to. And we're really hoping the mom comes. And she was just so upset. It was I was like, I feel you. My heart is breaking. And so then this other group of kids started to build. They were like, well, like if we can't like if it can't get back to its nest, we can build it a nest right next to it so we could go to that nest. And so they all got so pumped and started building this nest on the side. And that helped the other uh, girl who was really upset, like gave her something to do. But it was like, there's nothing that really truly can be done, which was its own thing to try and explain and sit with the kids and be like, I know this is really frustrating and this is so hard. Like it was a lot of emotions to hold and handle. And it just um, takes so much creativity and engagement. Yeah. No I mean, I don't book. really know what else you would do. I mean, yeah, you just approach it. Well, I think I a different know. approach is, hey, uh, this is done. Get, get back in the classroom. We got our class to teach. But I, yeah. my interpretation is, or my understanding is the Reggie approach and the, the teachers are trained to be like, 
this is the material that we've been given to work with for the day. Let's see, yeah. Let's help. Let's see what happens. Yeah, that actually that is very much the the philosophy around yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so the bird then. Okay, so <laughs> this happens in the evening this? time, and the next day we go out to the play yard, and I so I was with the classroom that goes out in the play yard like third or fourth. So there theoretically I was like, whatever happened with this bird, I'm assuming it's been like quote unquote taken care of mm-hmm. because we're just, there's been other classes out in the play yard. So you go out and I was like, Oh, like I was so nervous about the bird because <laughs> I had been thinking about it and the kids were too. I mean, there's a group of them that was like, I wonder what happened to the bird. Where's the bird? And they're all Did it go worried. to its new nest? Um, so we go over and find nothing had happened. The bird was there dead and, uh, it was very sad. Very quickly. One of the teachers picked it up well on a stick and all the kids gathered around and she was like, here is the dead bird. And they looked at it and everyone got to look at it if they wanted to. Um, and then quickly one of the teachers was like, what do you guys want to do about this? And the kids... This is the episode, honestly. This (laughs) is it, everybody. The group of kids started to say, oh, we need to do a funeral. We need to bury it. We need to... Like, we have to bury the bird. Where are we going to do it? And so me and... There's two other teachers that were kind of, like, facilitating it. Um, And one of the teachers quickly was like, where should we bury it? And they all like together came up with they wanted to bury it in this like pot in our garden. And then like they were like, what should we do with the bird? Should we just bury it or should we do something? And the group of kids was like, we want to wrap it in something. Oh. So they went in and got something to wrap it with. And then um, one of we were like, what should we uh, should we put anything like with the bird? Do anything? Uh, they were like, we have to have a gravestone for it. So I grabbed this piece of like wood for it and I had a pen and I was like, what is the bird's name? What should I write? And like the consensus very quickly was bird. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Uh, I think I knew that and it still got me off guard. I was like, I forget what is it going to be again? Um, Not Eunice or anything like that. It's bird. And so... I write that they each like any kid who wanted to, I would say 70% of the kids are on the play yard that day. It was just two classes that were out to experience the burial of bird. Um, they came out and I would say 70% were at the like burial and helped in digging the hole or filling the hole. Everyone took it so seriously. Mm. There was no, like it was, it felt rather, urgent it felt very important it felt like every kid that was a part of the scene um was really paying attention to like what was happening they were like experiencing death and fully embracing it and figuring out what to do I mean they came up with all the things that they should do and nobody said this is what you do at a funeral they just had these ideas from previous experiences or books and things like that and they all came up with it together Um, so we buried the bird and then we gave them space to say things to the bird. Like, if you want to say something, um, and they like, 
a large, like a lot of them were like, I hope you have a good time in that hole or like, <laughs> bye birdie. And like, I love you birdie. Like it was, it was really sweet sentiments. And then other kids kind of saying the bird can't hear you right now. <laughs> that was, so that was in the afternoon. So we buried it and kids said a lot of things. Um, and then a group of kids went and played while another significant chunk stayed behind and they picked flowers. We don't typically allow kids to pick flowers, but we talked to them about this being a different situation and that they could pick certain flowers if they wanted to put one flower on oh. for the bird. Um, and quite a few kids like sat and like were a little like perfectiony about making sure that it looked really beautiful the way the bird was buried and laid. Um, and so then we like passed it on. We like one of the teachers called them over and was like, okay, you guys, now it's our responsibility to let everyone else know that not to bear, not to dig there and to tell them what happened and tell them the story of bird. Like, will you guys help us in making sure that nothing happens? And they were all like very serious about this. Um, and so when I came back that afternoon, like it was this like thing, you would be out in the play yard and then like, there was almost always like a group of kids or a kid that would go over and like have moments with this like bird, look at it. Hi, birdie. How are you doing birdie? Maybe talk to it. Um, there is, there is a very funny iconic moment of this one kid talking to it and another kid being like, stop talking. It doesn't hear you. It can't hear you. And her just being like, that's okay. We still just talk to it. Like we talk to it because we want to, and we love the bird. And it's so profound. Um, just the way the kids responded and it honestly, that kind of was pertinent for this one specific class who had had a death in a family. Um, just like a month prior, I'd say. Um, so it felt very, um, healing for a lot of people to kind of experience that and have ownership and um, understanding of kind of what you do with death um, in the mourning process. It felt like a real privilege to walk alongside this group of kids mourning this bird. And it also gave me just so much, I don't know, It even just talking about it now, it gives me pause to just look around and see my place in this like larger world. Like we're a part of this larger environment and they, they're reminding us of that, that this bird that we could easily walk by maybe also has something to teach us. Maybe some wisdom in the bird. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that bird, that bird thing we get, we could do a, 10 episodes on that. I was going to say an episode, but like that is just so profound. I mean, it, it was, it was really profound. And I felt so, I felt more than honored that one of the teachers was like, well, you write the learning story for this. And I was like, <gasps> I would love well, say to say what that is. What is a learning story? A learning story is basically just a story of something that happened. Like, here's the scene. Here's what happened. Here's what I observed. Here's my reflections. And then turning it to the families, like to ask them questions of it, be curious around it. Um, so I wrote a nice little piece, which I think was also, it was, this was a big hilltop moment, this bird dying. Mm -hmm. um, so that was special. Um, and then in that classroom that it happened and they started reading this book, there's this children's book that already existed that was called the bird. I think it's called the bird. And it's about a group of kids that find a bird in the woods and they're all alone. There's no adults. And they do a very similar thing, hmm. a very similar hmm. thing. Hmm. So 
I read that book and the teachers read that book for quite some time after that to kind of, I don't know, expand upon mm. their experience. So the bird, that's the bird story. <laughs> but it's not only just like making the space and like quote unquote teaching by opening the door to their curiosity, but it's also honestly from that early of an age, helping kids grieve and learn mm-hmm. how to grieve and what to do mm-hmm. when that, I mean, that's a profound human um, experience. Yeah. Yeah. Many of them were really sad. Yeah. Like really sad. And to not have, it was very significant like, hey, to them inside. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Don't look over there to be like, we are going to deal with this. We're going to make space for your emotions and your thoughts and, uh, I, I heard this phrase today from someone. They said, when it comes to working with people, fast is slow and slow is fast. I have to think about that for a little bit. Fast is slow and slow is fast. When you're working with people. So essentially, like, if you want good results, slow down when it comes to people. Oh, That's I hear fast you. fast track towards true, and true. productivity. If you take true. the time to listen and do the wonder. necessary thing and wonder yeah. be curious. You're going to get better results in the end. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, this is a funny side note about the bird okay. to close it. Um, the bird being in this big pot was not necessarily sanitary or oh, up to, to standards. So <laughs> that day I had to go <laughs> and dig another burial spot for it, like oh, wow. out on the canal and go. And while the kids weren't there. And so they don't, they didn't even know this. I feel so bad about this, like rebar, like unbury this bird and then go and bury it somewhere Some else. Kid is gonna far away. Someday when they're older and their whole child is going to be ruined. And go back and recover it up and put no, the gravestone and the flowers back where they bird. had them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. I felt pretty bad, but it was also kind of a... Necessary. Its important. own scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I think that could be plenty for this long. Yeah, it's just scratching segment. the surface of what you it do. Is. But um, it's somehow, it somehow, and, and it wasn't even really intentional, all these things lined up where it's, it's like, I'm a youth pastor. Macy and I collaborate in that sense. Um, Macy works at a preschool and we also kind of study and started this podcast that we're, uh, trying to talk about curiosity on. Curiosity. It just kind of happened organically. Yeah. Curiosity is our buzzword. And so this, this topic about, um, age and wisdom, the reason we talk about age and wisdom is like, you could say kids in wisdom. We're talking about how kids and young people can be bears, agents of wisdom. Mm-hmm. So can older people, but that gets over accentuated in our society. I think so. Yeah. I think that I get a little like weary of us not like over idealizing kids wisdom and all of that. But I do think that we lean towards looking Who's to adults for answers. Reggio? What? Who's we, you and me or Reggio? I think we is a greater societal we. Okay. We get too (laughs) interested in kids' wisdom? No. Okay. What's... Oh, I just... I, of course, want to, like, come back and be... We don't want to over-romanticize and idealize the child. Right. Agreement. Um, 
but it does feel like society and maybe our natural inclination is to look to older people as having more wisdom than us. So it feels like a corrective to then say, no, like how can I look at someone younger than me as having potentially just as much or more wisdom than I may have? A big, big giant question slash topic, but uh, that's a big okay. topic. Uh, we can get it's a big topic. When we come back, maybe? When we come back, we'll have, we'll talk about, what is the book titled? How Children Raise Parents. How Children Raise Parents. I'm super curious. <laughs> I'll read you some snippets and we'll just see what your response is. Okay. Okay. When we come back? Yeah. We are back. Hey, everybody. This is on the same topic, on the same lines of uh, age and wisdom. We're taking a quick turn Yeah. here, although it's similar vibes, I feel like. Yeah. So there's this book that I highly recommend that I posted on our Instagram called How Children Raise Parents. I think it is a crazy underrated book. To me, this is one of the best books on parenting that you could possibly find. And I've read a lot. A lot of books. Whoa. Whoa, big words. Yeah. um, Just the, I mean, just think of the title alone. You don't even need to read the book. Just think about that title. Yeah. Um, And I guess I would say this concept of age and wisdom, we all have wisdom. So I just want to clarify for everybody. We all have wisdom, but somehow in our experience as a society, I think we overemphasize the wisdom of adults over kids. And yeah. when I say wisdom of kids, personally, this is what I'm trying to communicate. You may, you might mean something different, Macy, but what I'm trying to say, and this is what I think the 100 languages speaks to, is that mm-hmm. if we start with this sort of premise, looking out into the world, I'm staring out into the Sar- Santa Barbara sound right now from my hotel room. Um, sound. Bay. I don't know what it is. It's a bay. Maybe. <laughs> I come from Water. Seattle, so I'm calling, I feel inclined to call it a sound, a, a bay. Um, there are infinite possibilities to the way we can organize our societies, the way that we can organize corporations, art, mm-hmm. expression, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, communities, et cetera, et cetera. And the 1,100 1, languages... Mm-hmm. There's a poem. It's like a Reggio poem, everybody. I don't think we're going to read it right now. Oh, 100 languages. 100 languages. But what it speaks to is that kids are starting from a 
sort of blank slate and they they don't they don't make decisions or speak through the filters and lenses that we adults have learned to speak right. through. So they very naturally see the world in an incredibly profound and innovative, free way yes. that can teach us if we're open to listen. Yes. That's yes. that's the whole point of, of, well, I don't know the whole point of Reggio, but it seems to me that that's one of the main focuses of Reggio. It's one of the main focuses of how I want to live my life. It's one of the main focuses of how I think people should parent. It's, it's one of the main um, philosophy driving factors of how I think people should approach youth as youth pastors. Yeah. Um, honestly, if you're just talking about this kind of old school way of doing like a Bible study, my approach would be, it's not about sitting down and teaching the kids what certain verses mean. It means sitting down and helping them get comfortable knowing that they have an important thing to speak into a Bible passage. Right. It's like giving them the encouragement and tools to experience it for themselves. Because mm-hmm. side note, um, if we believe the Bible is living and active and applicable and useful for who we are now, uh, we're all interpreters and kids need to interpret it for their context. I can't yes, interpret yes. it for them. So if they don't feel confident doing that starting now, they're not going to do that as adults. That's a side. Well, point. and we all need to hear kids' interpretations. I benefit. And not interpret for them. and Because, yeah, we benefit from hearing their interpretations. Yes. So this is Dan Allender. He started the school, Seattle School. Look that up. But I'm just going to go. This is like, again, it's kind of like, this is quasi book report. Yes. <laughs> <And> quasi yes. <laughs> me hanging out with Macy, sharing some passages that I liked <laughs> and then popping off about it a little bit. Um, so this is, this is kind of in the realm of parenting, but this is what I'd want people to think. It's in the realm of parenting, but it's in the realm of curiosity. We're talking about taking kids and especially as parents, if any parent is listening to this, they know what I'm talking about. It's so hard and so risky. Well, at least it seems risky to be open to your kids. But that is how kids teach us. Um, yeah. If we can be open with our kids, we can be more open with the world. So it's What it's do you think that means ground. to be open with your kids? I think it means approaching your interactions not with a sense of, of this is my chance to pass down information and wisdom and teach, but a chance for collaboration and learning. I may yeah. teach my yeah. kids something, but they may teach me something too. Yes. I've got yes. to orient myself properly to this interaction. And it's, this is where I'm striving to do. I don't do it well. Yeah. Um, I want to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that your kids are in your face every day. So you all day, every day. Yeah. I cannot put myself in parents shoes. It's crazy. It's a crazy thing. (laughs) Um, so here, here's, here's how I'll start just to get everybody get their bearings. Um, this is what he says about the book. And it's just in the first chapter. And he says, here is the core premise of this book. And you could just say, probably here's the core premise of this little section of the podcast. Yeah. Thank God for your children because they are the ones who grow you up into maturity far more than being concerned about how to correct or convert or counsel your children. Thank God for what your children are teaching you to the degree that your heart is overwhelmed with gratitude for your children. They will gain the core education that they most need the knowledge that they are truly loved, treasured, and delighted in. Only a genuinely thankful parent can invest his or her children 
Oh, can invest in his or her children the conviction that they are the focus of unconditional love. Ooh. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. So, yeah, right off the bat, I, I think there's a challenge in this book to be um, grateful for your children. <laughs> that, yeah. That in of itself is challenging. <laughs> <laughs> um, and to approach them, to approach the a complicated, challenging, emotionally challenging interactions that you have with them with a sense of gratitude. You know, yeah. You, there are vessels of wonder and beauty and they, like he talks about a lot about this, like look of delight mm-hmm. that a parent as much as humanly possible when their child looks, walks in the room should have a look of delight. Like a mm. child should not have the experience of having a look of disdain. Mm. It should not be familiar with a look of mm. disdain from their parent. It should hmm. be delight. Like, I love you so much. Gosh, but that's hard. I know. But, that, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, like, I'm not a parent, but that seems very, th- that's that why seems I, like a high, but a good thing, but a high aim. Mm-hmm. This is why I would say it's important for parents. Maybe one of the best things you can do as a parent is not work on your kid, but work on yourself. Because you are yes. able to take more snaps to that your kid when you've <laughs> gotten over your issues, you know? Sometimes your yeah. kid walks in the room and they remind you of something that you don't like about yourself that you haven't confronted and that's why you can't be delighted in them, you know? Gosh. Ooh, gosh. That's uh, real. That's real, man. All right. <laughs> so here's another little quote. Uh, when I ask parents what they... Okay, he says this. When I ask adults... So he's a therapist, first of all, and an educator and then a founder of a school and a graduate school. But he says, when I ask adults what it takes to be a good parent, they parrot the psychobabble of the therapeutic field or the latest feeding schedule and spanking technique advanced by a more conservative wing of the parenting movement. This was written in 2003, everybody, so he'll quote some people like Rush Limbaugh, but Rush Limbaugh's still around. He says, then they might toss in a dose of Rush Limbaugh or Homer Simpson, depending on which pop culture icon they spend more time with. But then I ask parents what they have learned from their children, and their faces go blank. Even more, Mm. when I ask, how have your children changed, transformed, or redeemed your life? I get a suspicious Mm. stare as if I'm dressed in a 70s pale green polyester leisure suit. Why is it so hard to believe that God intends our children to train us just as much as he intends to train and guide our children? Why is it so inconceivable Mm. that God would design a child to be the best qualified human to thwart and shatter a parent's arrogance and self-righteousness? Yes. And why don't we put this responsibility to learn on a par with the parent's responsibility to rightly shape the heart and mind of a child? Isn't that Mm. so good? Yeah, that is good. Ah, we don't. I mean, that's not how us parents are out there talking about it. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know what you mean. Cause I'm not out there <laughs> yeah. talking with parents. Yeah, I'm out there talking. This is, I'm not out there talking not with parents. Not only am I in out there way. talking with parents as a youth pastor of 20 years, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the, to the desires that parents have on me as a youth pastor in yeah. terms of passing down a faith. And that's a story in and of itself, a very strange story. Yeah. But um, yeah, true. I'm also a parent out there talking to parents. Yeah. And I'm listening casually at dinner parties and coffee shops, hearing about like each parent's unique desire for their kids. And you could think about it too through the lens of the Enneagram for sure. But Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness. I mean, most most of the parents, whether they're peers or parents that I'm working with, all have a definite deep love and desire for their kids and sense a deep responsibility for their yeah. kids. But um, 
oftentimes that seems to come in the form of maybe what you'd call over-parenting. Like, my, my deep love yeah. for you is actually taking on the form of over-involvement, over-investment, or something along those lines. Yeah, it requires, like, a lot of hands up to your own passions and things and your own, like, allowing your kids to lead with their own passions and desires and to not, like, over put yourself in that. Gosh, yeah. that would be very complicated. <laughs> it is. It's trippy. It's, Parenting is so trippy. Yeah, I don't... Uh, yeah, as someone who is not ready to think about what it would be like as a parent, but can sometimes imagine that. (laughs) I know that you were at this age, had a child. I can't imagine being in that space. It was crazy. It's very overwhelming, which is why it's important as a parent to take note that like, okay, well your child's teaching you something Mm -hmm. like that can make it less overwhelming. Maybe. Yeah. And like take some of the stress off. Yeah, no. And one of the things I think he confronts in this book is this idea that you will absolutely fail as a parent yeah parent will fail because yeah human and imperfect and to give yourself grace for that but also <laughs> try harder <laughs> yeah um, yeah Gosh. here's another little one i really loved and again this is sort of setting the stage for this book and who knows how far we'll get into this but he says um and again i think everybody this sort of speaks to where i want to head as a youth pastor and teacher but it also expresses where i want to keep heading as a parent and a and a person i think this we can approach kids like this but we can approach people like this too but Mm -hmm. maybe this is just the section where if any of the parents are listening this is a parent section too um but he says when the skies are clear and everyone is happy and the kids are thriving we feel as though we must be the smartest parents on the planet it's when we get tangled in the middle of the thicket that we realize our limitations and cry out for the solution quote unquote A good Mm. first step toward the solution is recognizing that we have the advantage of broad principles and tools, intuition and prompting that God provides when we cry for help. But there is yet another source. This is the key. This is the key. Listen to this, everybody, because this is not something we're hearing out in the world. But there is yet another source of help. And this is he's saying this on the heels of like talking about how parents go for every book and they and it's like a great industry, like parent self-help. Yeah. Yes. Experts, you know? Yes. So compare that to be like all these PhD experts. Ironic that I'm reading a book. Yeah. You're as you're out here reading this parenting book. He says, (laughs) but there is yet another source of help that almost all of us completely overlook. And that is the expert we have close at hand. Our child. We must not turn merely to sound principles, but to the process of learning from our children, how to parent them. And the learning process begins with, with learning to hear their voices. Isn't that so good? Isn't that Reggio? That is good. good. Yeah, no, it's similar vibes. Yeah. Yeah, that feels sweet. It is. There's something something I think to a lot of parents that seems so risky about that, you know? Yeah. I I have a hard time thinking that seems risky, but that's from where I'm at. It's, it's this idea that... It feels like, less risky to me. I know, I know, I know. And you've been raised a little bit differently and you have yeah. a different temperament and now you've been exposed to Reggio. But like, I do think... And again, everybody, I'm talking in general broad strokes. So if somebody, some parent is listening to me like, that's not how I do it. Maybe I'm talking about myself. 
Well, that's the thing is parenting is so complex and it's so varied and it's so cultural and it's so tied to location and it's so tied to just so many things. It's a giant web. It's a giant web. Giant web. And, and, and nobody has to go to school for Anybody can be a parent, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It's like, it's like people go to driver's ed and once you, once uh, at least a kid in America gets in the car, they've had some sort of standard training. Anybody can just be a parent. You I know. know it's pretty wild, but I do think nobody's ever said it like this. But I do think, in general, subconsciously, people view parenting as sort of this like molding of this clay. Like you've been given this raw material, and it's up to me to mold it and care for it and turn it into this thing. Yeah. Rather than thinking of a kid or a person as this beautiful, unique human that you're going to now, you know. Uh, work with and collaborate with to create a life, so to speak. And you can impart your wisdom, but one of the things he talks a lot about here is you impart your wisdom in dialogue with your kid. Like it has to be based on what you're learning specifically from your kid. Yeah, that's interesting. I think about myself and my own parents and I do feel often like I have something to teach you. And I think they give me space to do that in a lot of ways. I feel that. But that's something that's, I don't know if this is the best word, but uh, I do feel like that's something that's earned. Yeah. Hmm. Like if you've shown that you're an adult that actually cares about them and has also listened to them. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that when we force information on anybody, they're not going to listen. True. When they want to know the information, they'll ask. And then if they respect you, they'll actually listen and learn. Yeah. Yeah. But if you force it on them. I mean, I'm talking about myself, actually. I mean, I, I didn't like any teachers forcing anything on me. So this stuff speaks <laughs> to me for sure. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to find a few other quotes that I like here. Uh, this is the part. This is a cover. nice little tour of the book. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Okay, this is good for us. Uh, here's another one. Um, this is called th- one of the themes that he brings out in this book is about our our child's bent. Okay, which is is sort of like a carving metaphor, like that w- a wood has a very specific flow and bent, and that if you're gonna like make a bow and arrow or something out of that wood, the the smart thing to do is to follow the natural bent or the natural curve of the wood and not oh I see manipulate it. Yes. And so that, that's a theme that plays out through the entire book. And so okay. I think about Reggio, parenting, kids, age and wisdom, it's a similar type of thought. But he says, in our highly psychological day, the concept of a person's bent is often defined as a personality pattern or style. I think this is interesting to think about how we think about Enneagram. Yeah, seriously. Personality is a useful concept, though it is not identical to the concept of a bent a bent is the manner in which God has uniquely written a person's life story to reveal God's character. It is closer to the idea of a theme or the deeper meaning of a story. Reading our children's bent is not a matter of taking a series of personality tests. Instead, it is the demanding call to watch, listen, study, and interpret our children. It requires oof, enormous oof. wisdom to see our children's true bent versus our own dream of what our children will accomplish. Oh, Woo. <laughs> that feels, yeah, that feels, that does feel Enneagram and it really does feel like observational. Yeah. Yeah. In a sweet way. Totally like learn your children. Learn your children. Watch their bent. I mean, to, cer- to a certain extent, it sounds like the greatest privilege, 
you know, learning. Yeah. Oh my gosh. To just sit. Celebrating it, you know, helping them discover it, it, Mm -hmm. affirming it, Mm -hmm. working with it. So it's like, if you think about what I was saying about this idea of like carving something, I'm not a carver, so I have no idea what he's talking (laughs) about here, but, um, you know, you can, you, you're still involved. You're still helping shape, but you're working with their natural. Yeah. Point. You're not going against it, you know? Yeah. Uh, that to me just sounds, so here comes another one. Now, some of this book is speaking directly to like a Christian culture. So you just have to know that, but it's still good, obviously. But man, this was, <laughs> this speaks to me and my peers and just the world we live in. But he says, wisdom requires knowing your bent versus your child's bent. So this is about like parenting and, and, and raising kids and working with kids really requires you to be very self-aware and mature. Yes. That's maybe one of the most important things. Wisdom requires knowing your bent versus your child bent. If you seek to be respected in your community by exhibiting the appropriate social markers of accomplishment, intelligence, and power, then I can, I posted this on Instagram, by the way, but I want to say it again then I almost guarantee that one of your children will be bent to flaunt those same standards. At Hmm. least one of your kids, and I love the way he says this, at least one of your kids, and hopefully more, will challenge your perspective. If they don't, you'll know that you have established a family rule that supersedes loving the Lord your God more than anything else and loving others as much as you've loved yourself. In majoring Hmm. on a minor, your child's fashion choices or physical appearance, you've buried the major issue of loving God underneath the vestments of conformity to earthly standards for outward appearance. Oof. <laughs> Oof. I think he's a good Oof. writer. <laughs> like, oh boy. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to know your own bent. You got to know your own bent, and then <laughs> and know that know know when you're forcing that on somebody else. You know, yeah, no, yeah. it's like this is my bent. It worked for me, but maybe that won't for, work for my kid. You know, now you got to learn your own kid, and you got to learn yeah. to work together. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Do you have something to say? <laughs> oh, no, no. I want to hear more. Okay. okay. <laughs> Do you have more readings? Oh, no. There, there, there's a few where I was like, this this has to be shared with Macy, but <laughs> this will take a second because there's some chapters where I know we're good, but I'm like, that's not for this. I do episode. think we have a lot to learn from kids in com- when it comes to fashion. We'll oh. continuously say this oh. as you well, flip through the pages. That whole thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> We have to learn from kids in fashion. That would be maybe style three is bringing kids into the conversation. Just kids fashion. Oh, gosh. So in terms of this book, I think I'm winding down. I think I have some (laughs) finale parts and then we'll sort of have a a free form pop off of the themes that I've brought up here. Perfect. perfect. So he's now we're kind of deep in the book now. and, And Dan Allender is talking about how this is sort of playing out in his own life. I think when he wrote this book, he had it seems to be a 17 year old daughter that ended up going to jail and he had to come bail her out as a 17 year old because they some police found vodka in the back of her car. And he talks oh, about geez. how he had to deal with that. And then he has this 12 year old son named Andrew. And there's this whole chapter that sort of unpacks this fishing trip that they had when Oof. Dan Allender was like a guest speaker at this ranch in Montana. So he took Andrew and first the, the story starts where he goes out when, evening and just fails miserably at trying to catch like fly fishing, Hmm. trying to catch the fish in a lake. And it's a hilarious story where like a bat bats are swooping around his head. So he tries to swing his fishing line and hits a bat. Now the bat's swimming towards him and simultaneously picks up this scary fish 
and he and he wants the fish off the line, so he swings the fish. The fish goes flying, hits the bat, and the whole time he lo- looks and realizes this old man is watching him, and he's embarrassed. <laughs> so he's kind of saying, first of all, even though I love fly fishing, I'm a terrible fisher, and I'm also scared of nature. And then he tries to take his son out several <laughs> scared times. Scared of nature. Yeah, and then he has this he has this dream of like this being a very special time for him hmm. and his son, and and he he really spiritualizes it. He's saying he he's couching this in in um in the in the concept of like deeply praying for your kids but thinking about it as a wrestling with god like hmm. here's what i want but you tell me what you want god what do i want for my kid what does my kid want it's like this constant back and forth dialogue of god kid listening talking but hmm. also also dan allender talks a lot about like sharing himself with god and his kid like hmm. he he is a really big believer in talking verbally to god and and yelling and hitting the table Dude. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so he br- he brings that forth and then hears God's voice and he's so he's doing this thing where he's like to God, I want this to be a bonding experience for my kid. I want my kid to catch a freaking fish because it will make him feel powerful and good. And I brought him out mm. here for this. So this is the whole um, context of these moments. But um, he's essentially saying that as him and his son finally go out one morning to go fishing. Um, it's, he's gone to the perfect spot that this old man has recommended and they've been out there for hours and the son or him have not caught a fish. And this is their last chance in Montana. And he's so mad at God. He's like, I did everything I could. I really wanted my son to have this like winning moment. Yeah. And, uh, so now he's saying like, he hasn't caught the fish and he says, this story makes complete sense to me. So he's talking about how he's just, um, he feels like giving up and the kid feels like giving up and they're just like, let's go. The next moment, however, is hard to explain. The spirit of God spoke to me, not audibly, but also not in a fashion that felt like my mind was talking to itself and said, you've killed hope in your own heart. Do you plan to kill it in your son as well? My reaction was fast and furious. It's not like hoping to you. Oh, it's not like hoping in you has gotten us anywhere today, God, he says. The spirit's voice was was just as quick. He said, if you are so true, if you're so sure I'm not present, then why do you want to hurt me? Why do you want me far away from you and the fish? I could have fallen out of the boat. I looked at my son's face, and I knew I couldn't refuse him, nor could I continue hating hope. I said, Andrew, you can throw your line in five more times. And so he did. But I love this line. And then did he catch the fish? Hold on. I love this line. He says, you've killed hope in your own heart. Do you plan to kill it in your son's as well? That's the hard part of parenting. That is the hard part of parenting. he's already given up, and his son is out there kind of wanting to still fish, and he's like, forget it. This is also this funny thing of uh, a little bit over romanticizing and over picturing what this weekend's going to be. Oh, for sure. I mean, our, us parents have all sorts of <laughs> trustful images of what I mean. I'm here on vacation with my kids. I have hopes for this vacation. It's a it's a t- it's a tricky balance. You know what I mean? Like, on the one hand, I don't want to be indifferent to this vacation and just like, yeah. oh, whatever happens, happens. At the same time, I don't want to micromanage everything. But I do yeah. want big things for me and my kids and their lives. And I want to be present <laughs> and I want to instill hope in them. And, you know, it's hard. Yeah, it's but true. So it's eventually. So he says, try five more times. The, the, the big long story is like on the fifth try, the kid does catch a fish. Oh my goodness. It's of beautiful course. and sweet. And this is what I'd say. Like just <laughs> this picturesque terms, moment. Yeah. I always wonder authors always have these picturesque moments that are like so perfect. Well, this isn't. I mean, I'm skipping over a big part of the story. It's it's really <laughs> kind of more humorous, but the idea that he does catch the fish is pretty sweet. And obviously it's the story he's chosen to tell. But Very that's not special. The point. I mean, what comes up here is the point. He says, 
We made our way back to the dock, and my son said, Dad, we have a God, don't we? We had never said anything like that before. I said, Son, we do. I felt both the pleasure of the catch, the shame of my disbelief, and the smile of my son's wise words. He then said something that took my breath away. He said, I know God's name. He wasn't looking at me, nor had he said the words to inform me. He seemed to be saying the words to mark a major moment in his life. I interrupted his thought and asked him to tell me God's name. He said, my God is called the God of the fifth caste. Whew. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. So I, it, it's in the context of this chapter, it's this idea of um, Dan Eller says that God has a name to give each of us and to give our kids. That's a name that supersedes the name that we've given them. And it's up to us to help our kids listen to the name and to embrace it when it comes. And this is part of that <laughs> bigger picture of yeah, like, that's an interesting bigger picture. My experience of God, my experience of me, um, and, and how we're open to that when it comes, you know? And so I love that he's not like, that's not actually God. And that's not, where's your biblical reference? <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, this is a profound moment. And, and, and can I be curious enough to allow my kid at least at the very least to just say it and embrace that? Or can I be curious yeah. about what that kid means by that? And what can I learn from my kid? Totally. Oh yeah. Yeah. The whole book culminates in this huge push to play with your kids. Essentially mm. playing yes, with yes. your kids is oh, the most important thoughts. thing you can do. Please share a thought. Yes. Share a thought. No, 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 no. You read your thing. You read no, no. I mean, share first. a thought before I share it. No, I just think in terms of like as a teacher, that for me, when I'm starting to have like frustrations with a kid, the first like one thing I've learned is that if my reaction is to engage with them and play with them and like just enjoy being with them and try and have fun with them and get involved in whatever games they're in, that gives me so much insight yes. into the kid. Yes. So much. Yes. Okay. So what is the reading? Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, uh, so uh, again, kind of talking about the Christian realm. So first of all, what I love about this it's the lens that I'm about to do that fate just threw it at me, everybody. So I couldn't help it. Because right in the smack dab in the middle of this book is an Annie Dillard reading. <laughs> oh, here it is. <laughs> so, so he's talking. He's kind of talking about this idea of uh, prodigality. He's talking about the prodigal son. Okay. So he's bringing those inf- that, that those image those imageries into this. But he says play is prodigal, meaning that it is overabundant and without limit. The Ooh. prodigal son Ooh. of the Bible left home so he could operate without the limits of social constraint. In a far land, he spent his father's money on riotous living. The father who received him back, however, was even more prodigal. He met his Mm. repentant son with limitless grace, which he lavished on him in the riotous frivolity of love. Oh. Yeah. This is a different angle I haven't read it with. Play is equally excessive. It invents and multiplies options and possibilities. There may be a fixed number of musical notes and time signatures, but there is a limitless number of combinations that produce an infinite variety of melodies. Isn't this Reggio? This is, this is. And then he says, as Annie Dillard writes. Oh no, (laughs) the tears are coming. I know know. every time we hear her voice, it's just like (laughs) what is being said, but he says, nature is above all profligate 
Don't believe them when they tell you how economical and thrifty nature is, whose leaves return to the soil. Wouldn't it be cheaper to leave them on the tree in the first place? This deciduous Mm. business alone is a radical scheme, the brainchild of a deranged manic depressive with limitless capital. Extravagance. Nature will try anything once. This is what the sign of the insects say. No form is too gruesome, no behavior too grotesque. If you're dealing with organic compounds, then let them combine. If it works, if it quickens, set it clacking in the grass. There's always room for one more. You ain't so handsome yourself. This is a spendthrift economy. Though nothing is lost, all is spent. Hmm. And then he says, Hmm. part of the huge risk of life is its endless possibilities. If you don't play tennis, you can play lacrosse. If you don't like sports, you can play chess or knit, collect stamps or feed the poor, translate the Bible or garden or swim or pray. Or you can do all that and still love baseball. Love and all play is prodigal. To try to break down Hmm. options makes the head and heart spin. But you must choose. And in making a choice, there is a path not taken and a chosen route that now limits you while also expanding a new range of choice. The acts of choosing and then acting on our choice change us. Hmm. Hmm. Ah. Ooh. What are we talking about? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> talking about I had so many and and vibes and thoughts in that. Mm. Even just thinking of nature and kids and the so play that the, kids have with nature it's so grounding mm-hmm. I feel so well, I'm just popping off with the fact I feel so freaking crazy lucky that part of my job is to just go out with nature and observe and watch kids play with it yeah yeah like, that's my job yeah <laughs> it's crazy it There's, gets me so in touch with nature it's good for everybody. Gosh. You see how it's such a win-win for everybody. It's a win for the kids. It's a win for us. That's why the book is called Children Raised Parents. We learn to get in touch with our childlike selves. We learn to get back in touch with a sense of play. and and this To feel the ground. Yeah. And this sense of play, honestly, people will say is the basis for any sense of innovation. So this isn't mm-hmm. just like, oh, mm-hmm. We're all just being childlike and returning to nature and being Zen and Nirvana and like hippie ki- people. It's like if you want to create, if you want to in- innovate, you know, you have to get back into a sense of, you know, getting in touch with the infinite possibilities. Yeah, <laughs> that even makes me think of, I mean, right now, essentially what we're doing with our free time is this is like a version of playing, like having this podcast and doing it. I've always like, thought that two friends doing this. It's so creative. It's just so fun. Like we're just doing it for the sake of fun and cause why not? And it's Mm -hmm. what friends do. And I think of the (laughs) things that the kids in our class do recently, their play was involving running uh, an infinity art shop. And he had another kid that was his dog at his shop and people would come up and you could uh, request a drawing and then he would give it to them mm. a drawing of the animal they requested and it's like that's their play that's but their that point. is it's such a like a wonderful thing it's creating and adding to this world their yeah. play like you can go up and you can get a drawing it's so sweet and special and pet the dog like <laughs> and miss vanilla bones <laughs> it's adding so Gosh. much <laughs> it's adding so much yeah there's so much happening with play mm-hmm. and getting in touch with like what their what your passion is and then your passion 
when you start playing with it, it inevitably brings about something innovative and awesome and cool that the rest of the world can enjoy or that can benefit the benefit rest of the world. from. Yeah. In this podcast, we attempt to approach these conversations with a sense of playfulness, I think. Yes. And, and hopefully invite you into that. And I honestly think like, I try to wonder it all makes sense in my head, but I wonder sometimes if people are like, what the heck are they talking about? Certainty and curiosity. What, what is this? And, and yeah. what we're trying to do is model it. I, I, we're not trying to necessarily teach it. Like, mm-hmm. here's, the, here's the steps. But uh, if you can start any topic, any, with a mm-hmm. sense of play. Yes. And, and Openness. Curiosity, curiosity right? with yeah. it. And, and honestly enjoying the process. Not being like, yeah. I, I, let, let me say it this way. Here, here's something I'll say. Personal. Okay? This might be helpful. Edit this out if it's not. <laughs> Um, I'm a recovering micromanager, this stuff. I'm just learning how to play. I knew yeah. how to play as a kid, but then yeah. something happened, whether it was society or something else that taught, that taught, taught me that that's not how it was supposed to be. And I was supposed to like get something out of the world. Did you play with your kids when they were little? Yeah, but probably not in the way that I've been trying to articulate here. Maybe yeah. At times. I think at times, yeah. for sure. I mean, we have videos of me playing in a way that I think would have been good, but those are highly edited and narrated, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But 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 to a certain extent, there are videos I have of me playing with my kids that even at the time highlighted, highlighted probably how I would have ideally wanted to be playing with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like at least this is, even though this is manicured and nice, it is representing what I'd like to be doing. You know? <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Gives um, you a little idealized version. Yeah, and in that sense, it was free-form playing, mm-hmm. even though I wouldn't have been able to say what I was doing at the time. And yeah, a lot of curiosity, totally. honestly. But um, for so Gosh, many, playing with kids is the most fun thing ever. Yeah, yeah. For, <laughs> for so many years, I would go on two dates with my wife throughout the week. And we mm-hmm. would have a date night, which was like a classic date. We'd like get dressed up and we'd go out to dinner and we'd go to a movie or something like that. That was once yeah. a week. Pretty lavish, actually, looking back at it, because we don't do that currently. And then we would have a date breakfast on Monday morning, which was my day Ooh. off. And the date breakfast was meant to be a time where we discussed real things. Like we, we, we built that into our week because it was bad form in our opinions, to bring up a, an intense topic on date night because date night was supposed to be fun. Yeah. And so if I was like, hey, this thing happened this week, Marissa would be like, this is supposed to be a fun night. You know, I'm like, well, when can we bring this stuff up then? Yeah. And so we're like, date breakfast. Because <laughs> then we're having coffee and it's morning and it's early. And it was nice, but it did turn into something that was not playful. I think mm, it took me mm. a year or maybe a year and a half to realize I was treating date breakfast as this thing of like, I'm going into this being needing to have said this to have been heard on this and to have gotten this result. Oh, interesting. Really micromanaging the conversation and thinking like, I don't, if I don't have Marissa, my wife understand this and hear this and do this at the end of this conversation, then this time was not worth my time. And Hmm. I think a lot of people resonate with that, honestly. And I would call people out on that and I'd be like, I I repent of that. And (laughs) you all should too. Like, that's not a playful conversation. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't approaching yeah. it with curiosity. I wasn't approaching it with a sense of enjoyment. I was approaching it with a sense of dominance, honestly, probably, at the end mm. of the day. And mm. um, 
uh, all of us suffered because of Good it. Good to name. Yeah. Um, and this this podcast is sort of the opposite of that. I'm not. We're, we're approaching it with a sense of play. I mean, at the end of the day, that's why I think we keep doing it because it's not like, oh, we're succeeding and we're, we're doing all this stuff. It's like at the end of the day, it really is just fun. It's just like it's a good fun. time yeah. hanging out. <laughs> yeah. So maybe this is the invitation at the end. If you've made it this far mm-hmm. at the end to listeners to imagine playing this week, what would playing look like for you? Giving yourself freedom to play. Yeah. Play. It's going to look different for everyone. In your own life. But especially if you have kids or you're an educator. Yeah. Also play with your kids. Yeah. <laughs> The kids you work with, your actual kids that you have. <laughs> I also think that there's also just try and see like what what would play be like for you if you told yourself, oh, I'm just going to go play. Yeah. What does that look like for me? That's yeah, an interesting yourself, thing. Yourself, like what what yeah. brings you joy? What gets you back into your childlike joy? Yeah. Freeform play. It's fun. Woo. But I think just just to sum up, the the reason I think Macy and I do this, or at least I'll say for my end, maybe maybe you should, maybe this would be a good way to wrap it up. Why do we do this? Why do we do these series, Age and Wisdom? Yeah, yeah. I think over the years, I have observed parents and myself and myself um, missing out on a beautiful source of. Wisdom. Now, when I say that, I, I just think maybe wisdom isn't the best thing, but we've enti- we've titled these things wisdom. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Fresh perspectives, fresh insights, um, not just about the world, but like what we've read about tonight in this Dan Elder book about your child's bent, about your child's personality, about your child's mm-hmm. perspectives, like to learn to listen to the inherent wisdom that is already in a kid that can actually tell you about themselves. That mm-hmm. at the age, I don't, I don't want to say a specific age, at a very young age can already tell you, I don't like that activity. Yeah. I don't go for that. I'm not like that. And you can start to listen to that and work with it and learn from it. And give them space to, to feel that and have that. I mean, here's an example. Here's an example, honestly. Here's Jack right back here in, in our... <laughs> hotel room with the door closed but at a very early age and everybody knows well people that listen to this podcast I'm not a huge sports fan yeah and early on I just had this sort of cultural this is a great actually this is a great metaphor for what we're talking about Personally, yes here we go I had a cultural mandate a perceived cultural mandate to play catch with my son <laughs> I didn't want to you know but I thought that was what we were supposed to do yeah. I, was, I would take Jack out and I'd be like, we got to play catch. And every single time he'd be like, I don't like this. <laughs> You'd be like, I don't like it either. To force it. No, I mean, th- I wouldn't say it like that at the time. I was like, we got to. And I remember that at the time being like, this is more about me. And this is the point of this book. I think how children raise parents. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to say it exactly like this at the time, but I, I had a, I had a, I had a glimpse of it. Yeah. Eventually I realized this is more about me than Jack. This is more about me than myself. <laughs> Like this is, yes. and it's, and it's not even actually about me, which is the craziest thought. It's about what I'm perceiving that the cultural wants from me as a dad. So I'm not yeah. even in touch with my own desire. I don't want to play catch, <laughs> you know, 
I don't. Uh, we found other activities. <laughs> that is so funny that yeah, you're like, really well, we got up. him. Yeah. And, and people are going to think I'm not a good dad or something. Oh or this, this is what fathers and sons are supposed to do. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, we've had, we found other um, places Different that things. have a sense of play, I think at times, but definitely not catch. Definitely not catch. <laughs> that is so funny. That's a good metaphor. Yeah. So I guess we're. I'm, I I would want people at the end of uh, these types of episodes to approach people with more curiosity, more open mindedness. Not just kids, <laughs> but everybody. <laughs> I mean, that's our whole yeah. thing of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I as we really wrap up, people, we're gonna wrap up. I do think Agent Wisdom is feels very close to home for us. It feels a little mission y for both of us. Uh, it's a part of, I think, my life's quote unquote work, whatever that is. I to help it is. It is. And help you're so good at it. To help uh to walk alongside kids and I think also invite adults and invite other people into learning from their kids. So this is part of it. The divine dance. The divine dance, everybody. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah, maybe maybe Being- just one more thought about like no small thing. I do think sometimes this is purely enjoyable as is, but in terms of age and wisdom and like trying to put out a vibe into the universe, if we ever did have the time and capacity to really go all in on a true, very neat and tight, well-researched, well-edited, well-paced, non-casual, really well-done episode or book or blog or something about this concept of age and wisdom. Yeah. We'd be, we'd be into that. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. This is sort of our like ponderings about maybe how we would get there. (laughs) Yeah. This is the beginning, the beginning of the start. Who's to say, this is also very fun and playful. It's not like, it's not, it's not like for this to be meaningful, it has to get to that. But um, no, Brene Brown said that, she had writer's block and the thing that got her out of it was she invited like four of her closest friends to a cabin and she just like what we do spouted off about all of her research and her friends took notes and the, the, the friends notes on her spouting off was the book. Oh, interesting? yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Cause she said she had a hard time just sitting down and writing. So she just get, got herself in, some, in front of some of her best friends and talked. Interesting. Yeah. A refined, no small thing, maybe in the future, everybody <laughs> who knows that would be wild. And we'd look back at these and be like, remember we were so unrefined. <laughs> Whatever it means. Oh this my goodness. Good okay. Yeah. This is it. You guys, we're going to end it. <laughs> we could go all night from across <laughs> The West Coast, California <laughs> to Washington. Here we go on the FaceTime No Small Thing episode. Bye, uh, everybody. Next week, uh, we have a potential interview that we're, we'll announce when it happens. But we're not a, a potential big cool time interview. celebrity potential. interview? Yeah. Potential. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Catch going. you later. All right, bye. <laughs>
such as love Fly.